Welcome, everyone. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Welcome, Smyrna County. Love you guys. We're glad you are with us. Everybody connecting online. It has been great to see over the past several weeks, now that we've been meeting back together face-to-face, more and more people are beginning to feel comfortable getting back out in face-to-face gatherings as long as we use the right protocols and protections for that to happen. So I want to brag on our church family. You guys have been amazing in your willingness to be cooperative and loving and willing to do things maybe you don't even necessarily agree with or feel comfortable with, but you've been willing to do it to allow us to have these meetings back together again. And the spirit of unity has been just so much a blessing. Thank you so much for doing that. I also want you to know if you're still connecting online and you're not comfortable yet coming back face to face, we understand it's not the right time for everyone. So we're so glad we could still offer this online for you. Uh, We live stream at nine o'clock every time and then it's available anytime after that. Uh, And we want you to know you can always watch it through our website at the uh, media tab there. Just click on that. Or if you would like to, we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have all of our uh, videos archived there, all of our messages. And we hope that you can subscribe to that and watch regularly. And if you miss something, you can go back there and catch it. We are just thrilled to have had this time of a series we've been calling Stronger Together. I love that video clip we just watched about truth. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. And here's something I know for sure is true. We are stronger together than any of us are on our own. And that's why people have been so hungry to get back together, so hungry to to be able to have times together with family and friends and the church family. It's because we know we miss it when we don't have it. And so this pandemic has served a good purpose in that way. It has reminded us how much we need each other, and especially how much we need each other in Christ. So far in this series, we've talked about how we are stronger in Christ. That's where we find our strength. Remember, he's the vine. We are the branches, and the branches need to stay connected to the vine to have that nourishment, to be able to produce fruit that God wants us to produce in our lives. We also saw the next week that we're stronger in our weaknesses. If we humble ourselves admit that we have weaknesses, then it makes us more prone to depend on the strength of Christ instead of our own strength. So that's something we've got to come to grips with and accept in our lives is that his strength is seen more clearly in our weaknesses. Last week, we talked about how we are stronger together in unity. Uh, I love that prayer. If you haven't read it recently, go back to John 17. Read that prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples where he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. We haven't obeyed that very well as the church, have we? We've divided up in all these different groups, but I'm so thankful that later church where we call people back together in unity in the body of Christ and just be Christians and just lift up Jesus uh, so that he can draw all people together in unity in him. And today we're going to finish up this series uh, with a message called Stronger in Truth. Stronger in Truth. We're living in an age where the truth is harder and harder to find. It really is. Uh, Because people are using the kind of reasoning that you heard in that video. Well, that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. And where you got to look at different theories of truth. You got to look at, you know, all these different opinions where one's just as good as the other. But the truth is, there is truth. 
And it's true whether I believe it or not, or practice it or not, or accept it or not. I'll give you one clear example. Gravity is true. How do I know that? Because if I were to step off the edge of the stage, I would fall. I'd probably get hurt. Why? Because gravity is true for everybody. Doesn't matter what you believe, what color of skin you are, what nationality you are, what eth ethnicity you are. Doesn't matter what economic status you have. Gravity is gravity for you just like it is for me. There are certain things that are just plain true no matter what. And they're true for everybody everywhere all the time. But for the church, it's a challenging time because there are so many people who are making claims and, and trying to cast doubt on people who put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ, right? There's always been that in the world, but it seems like in our country, in our lifetime, it's more prevalent than it's ever been before for us here. Where if you claim to follow Jesus, you claim to believe in him as Lord and Savior, you claim to believe in the Bible as the word of God, you're often ridiculed and, and made to think you're not very intelligent, you're not very mature, you're not well educated if you believe those things. So today I wanted to spend some time reminding us all that the faith that we know as Christianity is not based on some kind of blind, just acceptance of things without evidence. Friends, the evidence to support our faith is strong. It is powerful. And so I want to begin with a couple of verses that uh, are from the Gospel of John. Uh, John begins his gospel in a different way than any of the other gospels. He begins in John 1, verse 1, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You remember that? That's how he leads in to his gospel account. And then a little later on in verse 14, he says this, the Word, he's speaking of Jesus now, he's referring to him as the Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and, what's that word? Truth. John leads into his gospel with a proclamation that Jesus is eternal, that he's God made flesh, that he's the word of God in the flesh, remarkable claims. These claims are coming from someone who knew Jesus well, who walked with Jesus for three years of his life, who, who was taught by Jesus, who witnessed everything Jesus did along the way. And here's the claim he makes, that he was the word made flesh, and he came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, I think that's the bottom line, isn't it? Is what source do we know we could go to and trust for the truth? Uh, depending on your political persuasion or whatever, you might say, well, this news source is the one that tells it the right way, or this news source is the one that tells it the right way. You know, and, and you go to both extremes. You know what I want you to understand? Neither one of them get it right all the time. None of them do. They all have agendas. They all have a spin they want to put on it that fits their agenda. All of them. The conservative ones, the liberal, we like to label things, right? The conservative ones and the liberal ones, they all have the far right, the far left, they all have this agenda and this spin that they put on things. All of them. So how do you know what is true? You have to know that there's a source you can go to that you can depend on to tell you the truth. The Bible makes the claim that those who were with Jesus make the claim that he is that source 
of truth. And not only that, Jesus himself made that claim about himself. Your own in John, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, he said this. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's about, <clears throat> he knows the cross is coming soon. He's trying to prepare them for what's about to happen. And here's what he says to them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So he starts right off saying, well, you believe you can trust God, believe in God, right? Well, I want you to know you can believe me. You can trust me like you trust God. Now, he's given them evidence for that. He's going to talk about that. Uh, and he's saying that if you've seen the Father, later on he says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. So he's saying, if you believe in God, if you think you can trust God, then you need to know you can trust me because I'm God in the flesh. You can trust me too. And then he goes on to say this. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would, have, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. He's making a big claim here. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm telling you this. And then if I go prepare a place for you, I want to come back and take you to be there with me. Now, how do you know you can trust that? How do you know that's true? Well, he's going to give them more evidence to support it, okay? Thomas said to him, we know he gets a bad rap. We call him what, Thomas? What's the, ad, what's the adjective? Doubting Thomas. All of them doubted. It wasn't just Thomas. Thomas was the only one willing to speak up and admit it, okay? You've been in a group like that. Somebody in the group is willing to admit, I don't know. I don't understand. Could you explain it to me? But some of us are too proud to do that, right? To admit, oh, I got it. Yeah, I know. Jesus, I'm good. Yeah. Right? No, we all have some doubts and some struggles, right? Whether we admit it or not. And Thomas is honest. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Sounds like my travel plans, right? That's what my wife would say. I don't plan out the routes all the time. Now I'm so thankful for GPS, right? Except my GPS in my car is not nearly as nice as Sue Ann's in her car. The voice on mine is just saying, turn right. Her says, at, at your convenience, when you have the opportunity, make a right turn. <laughs> mine just says, you missed it. Turn around. Her says that your earliest convenience when it's safe, make a U-turn, right? But I like GPS because it keeps me from getting too far off track, usually. The other day, we were going to a ball game out of town with our grandson, and we were following the GPS. I was actually listening and doing what it said, and I made the turn it told me to take, and it took us in some backwoods country. We were on gravel road for four miles in the country, Passing some places, Sue Ann said, you don't want to stop and ask for directions. I can tell you that, right? It was scary. It would have been nice to know the truth that that wasn't the best way to go. Right? So truth is important, and it's important to know the source that you can count on. Jesus answered with this statement in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he adds, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and I have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? 
Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, here's what he says, believe on the, what's that word? Evidence of the works themselves. Jesus isn't asking anybody to have blind faith in him. He's never asked anybody, just, just believe in Jesus no matter what, if you don't see the evidence or not. That's not what Jesus has ever taught. He says, I want you to believe in me, absolutely. You can trust me, I want you to know that. But at least if you have some struggles with this, believe on me, I'll counter the evidence that I've given you, that I will continue to give you, that should cause you to be able to put your trust in me, should cause you to be able to know that I am who I claim to be and what I teach is really true. So today I want to spend just a few more minutes on five key areas of, of a subject that is often referred to as Christian apologetics. That's just a fancy way of saying the evidence of faith, okay? The evidence is for the faith. Apologetics is the study of the evidences of the faith. And there are a lot of good sources out there for Christian apologetics. There are good writers, good authors like Josh McDowell, his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, like Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and many other books there. There are many other uh, good sources. Uh, I, I was saddened like everybody else with the passing of Ravi Zacharias, one of the greatest Christian apologetic speakers of our time and teachers of our time uh, who passed away recently. But thankfully, we have his writings and we have uh, videos of his uh, speeches and, and teaching that he did. So we got great record of the, of the teaching that he did there that we can go back to. And there are many others out there. So if you are interested in this subject, I encourage you to go to those sources and look at it for yourself. If you have doubts, if you have concerns about putting your trust in Jesus, don't just write it off because somebody said you can't believe what he says. Or, or I hear this all the time. The Bible was written so long ago, and it's been changed so many times, and it was written by human beings, and we don't even know if it really said what it says. We're going to talk about that today because that's a false claim, a terribly false claim about the Bible. So don't just accept that stuff. Know what is true and what is not true. Know what is evidence and what is not evidence. So let's look at it together. The first area of evidence I want us to look at today is the reliability of the authors, okay? Right? They make the complaint. Well, it was written by, but it was just written by men, and men make mistakes all the time. So, so we can't trust what they wrote. What about the authors and their reliability? Listen to what John says in 1 John, another letter that he wrote, 1 John chapter 1, how he begins that letter, verse 1. And I want you, as I read this, to think, does this sound like somebody who's trying to fool somebody? Okay? Who's trying to be deceptive in any way? Listen to what he says. That which was from beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let me ask you something. If you're trying to deceive then why would you give details like, hey, 
We saw this with our own eyes. We touched this with our own hands. If you had to go to court, I hope you don't have to, but if you did, and you needed a witness on your behalf for some event that happened, something you've been accused of doing at some time in the past, the best kind of witness you could have on your defense would be somebody else who was there at that time and who were eyewitnesses to what took place, right? Isn't that the best, most dependable kind of witness to have? Now, they also need to be considered to be honest, but if they were there, if they were eyewitnesses, that gives greater credibility to their testimony. The scriptures are written by eyewitnesses to the actual events. They were there. Their eyes saw, their ears heard, their hands touched what they're talking about. And, and, and the fact that they're eyewitnesses gives greater credibility to what they're saying. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, he begins his gospel this way. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theopolis, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. He says, I was an eyewitness too, and I want people to be able to know the certainty of what we're asking them to believe, so I'm going to write it down and give you the record of it as an eyewitness to what took place. Powerful testimony. Now, no one of these things by themselves makes the case completely. But I want you to understand, we're putting all these things together. The whole body of evidence is overwhelming when you look at it. So let's think about the authors for a moment. There's a plurality of eyewitness accounts. If you only had one person who said they were there and they gave their account, that's good and that's strong. But what if four other people were there and they gave their testimony and all the testimonies were in agreement with each other? Wouldn't that be more powerful? Well, that's what you have in Scripture. It's written by a lot of different people who are eyewitnesses to what they're writing about, but all the accounts square up with each other. And they didn't write them at the same time in the same place. It's not like they sat in a room together and coordinated all this. They wrote them over a period of a long time at different places, not working together on it. And yet they are in harmony with each other. In fact, you can buy copies of the Bible that are often called, uh, or, or just the gospel accounts, especially they're often called a harmony of the gospels. There's some that are published out there. And they're good because what they do is they take Matthew's account, Mark's account, right? They take Luke's account. They take, they take John's account. They put them all together line by line under each other so that you can see how well they line up and are in agreement with each other. Now, those gospel accounts are just part of it. All of Scripture is in harmony with all of the rest of Scripture. All of it. People say the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. If you actually take the time to check it out a little more, there is no contradiction there at all. How does that happen? Because it's guided by a power and a wisdom greater than human beings being in control of it. That's how. I mean, me and my brothers could see the same thing and write our accounts of it, and it not, may be not line up exactly right. But when God, the Spirit, is leading and controlling it, that's when the harmony is brought in. That's where the, 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 the agreement between all those 
is controlled there by the leading of God's Spirit. Now, here's another thing about the authors. They were intelligent people, and they were honest people. Now, how do we know that? Well, here's how we know. The Bible is the greatest literary work in the history of the world. Even critics of the Bible have to understand and admit it's the number one selling book of all time, and it always has been. Nothing else has even come close. That's the amazing power of what a great literary work the Bible is. So this is an intelligent book by far. And not only that, but the writers are honest. How do we know they're honest? Here's how I know. We human beings have this tendency towards sin, right? Uh, And our tendency towards sin also gives us this tendency to make ourselves look good at any chance we get, okay? And not admit our faults and not admit when we messed up really bad. But when you read Scripture, the authors themselves confess to their own shortcomings and failures and mistakes, And they write about it for everybody to see and everybody to hear. Friends, that's a mark of honesty in the writing. That is one of the greatest marks of honesty you can have in literature. It's when they're willing to tell their own downfalls, their own mistakes, their own shortcomings. They're also honest in the fact that we can double check a lot of what they wrote. I'll talk about that more with with the other evidence we've got. But there are archaeological uh, discoveries that have been made where we can fact check them. You know, fact checking is a big thing now. You can fact check the Bible through a lot of other sources that I'm going to talk about. And when you fact check their information, it proves to be true. That's important. If you're going to put your trust in what it says. It's important that when you fact check it, it turns out to be true. Just be sure you've got an honest fact checker, okay? You know, just because somebody says, I fact checked this, doesn't mean they were honest in their fact checking, right? You've got to know you could trust them. Some of the fact checkers for Facebook are ridiculous. They've missed it big time, so many times, right? It's crazy, but they call it fact checking, right? So anybody could call it a fact check without it really being one. So you've got to make sure it's a reliable source if you're going to do fact-checking. Here's the other thing. They didn't try to take credit or elevate themselves for any of the great things that they say happened. They give all credit to who? To God, to Christ. They don't try to take credit for it themselves. Our fleshly, sinful nature, what do we tend to want to do? Take credit for ourselves. But when... When the apostles, we have a record of them performing great miracles after Jesus empowered them with the Holy Spirit. Who did they always point people to when the miracles? To God, to Christ. In the name of Jesus, they said, we healed this person. They didn't take credit for it themselves, which is more evidence that we could trust what they're telling us. Here's the other one that I think is really big. They had nothing to gain by lying and everything to lose by telling the truth. You understand that about these witnesses? In order for them to give the witness they gave, they were putting their lives on the line. In fact, the history tells us all of them, but John was executed that authored the New Testament for their faith and for their testimony. John was exiled to an island to die. They all paid a huge price to give us the testimony that we have. And I got news for you. 
for that many people, not one of them to break, not one of them to say, oh, we made some of this up, not, uh, under the threat of death itself, even by being killed in, in ways that were torturous, not one of them changed their story. Not one of them. That's powerful testimony, friends. That is powerful testimony to the reliability of the authors of Scripture. So that's one evidence, one area of evidence. Another area of evidence is the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm not going to take a lot of time with that today, but I want you to understand that there's records of prophecies that were made hundreds of years before the events, and every single prophecy that was made except one has come true now. Every single one except one has come true. The one is the return of Jesus, which I believe is still just right around the corner here, right? Could happen at any moment. All the others have been fulfilled. Now, that's amazing because we've had people claiming to be able to tell the future, people claiming to be able to interpret the signs and all of that forever, and none of them have been 100%. None of them have gotten it right all the time. In fact, if a person got it right close to 50% of the time, they were considered great and amazing. If they got 50% right. Just think about this. If you ever want a job that's really hard to lose, you should go into weather forecasting. (laughs) They're the only job I know you can be wrong half the time and still keep your job. Even get a raise maybe, right? Now, if you're here as a weather forecaster or somebody in your family is, God bless you. I'm not trying to in any way tear you down. They're working with what they got, right? They're working with the equipment and the best they can do. And, and the best they can do is about 50% accurate, okay? Now, when I say accurate, I mean exactly right. I mean, they get better than 50% in general, but if you want to be exact, about 50%, okay? So... The, the fulfillment of prophecy is huge. In Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 21, here's what it said. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? What, if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. In other words, there, he said there are going to be false prophets out there who claim to know what God says and what God's going to do and uh, how God's going to do it. But if they have said anything false, they can't be from God, he said saying that God's prophets won't miss. They will get it right every single time because God has that knowledge and information. Now, when it comes to prophecies about Jesus and about Christianity, one of the first ones is found in Micah 5 and verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, meaning before time, from ancient times. So he predicts that this, this person would come from what city? Bethlehem. Now, you know that the scripture says that Mary and Joseph uh, were chosen by God to, to raise Jesus. Mary was the one chosen to give birth to the child. And where did they live? Was it Bethlehem? Nazareth, right. So, In order for this prophecy to be fulfilled, what had to happen exactly was if Mary was pregnant and about to give birth, something had to happen to make sure she got from Nazareth to Bethlehem at exactly the time that this baby was going to be born. They didn't have family there. It wasn't their plan to have their baby there. And guess what? This foreign ruler 
who didn't even believe in God, makes a decree while Mary's pregnant that all the world was going to be enrolled in a census for taxation purposes. And just by chance, he said, all of you, in order to enroll in this census, will have to travel back to your ancestral home. Not where you live now, unless you still live in your ancestral home. But, but if you don't live there now, you have to travel to your ancestral home to be enrolled in this taxation plan. Just like the government, right? Don't want to miss anybody. Want to get all the tax money we can get from everybody. So everybody's got to do this. And Mary and Joseph, guess where both of them had as an ancestral home? Bethlehem. And the taxation just happened at the time, just, you know, coincidence that she gave birth while they were there in Bethlehem. See, that's just one of over 300 messianic prophecies that are all fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. And look at all that had to happen to make that one work. All of them had to be orchestrated by a higher power, a greater wisdom than ours. Mary and Joseph would never have chosen to travel to Bethlehem at that time had it not been decreed that they had to do it legally. They never would have done that. Which, by the way, is another evidence that God can use people who don't even believe in him for his purposes. Did you understand that part? Yeah. Who aren't even good people because he was not a good person for his purposes. That's who's really in control. You don't need to forget that. That's who's really in control behind all things. So, over 300 messianic prophecies fulfilled in the life of Christ alone. It is a mathematic impossibility, statisticians tell us. It is a mathematical impossibility that 300 prophecies could be fulfilled in the life of one person in one lifetime just by chance. It's a mathematical impossibility that that could just happen by chance, which means it didn't happen by chance, but by the will and the work of God. That's the only explanation for it. And that's just the Messianic prophecies. Friends, there are many hundreds of other prophecies besides that that have been fulfilled during the course of time of scriptures. So we're just, we're just talking about a small portion of all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled when you talk about the Messianic prophecies. The third area of evidence is the reliability of the documents. Remember the argument? Well, the Bible was written a long time ago and it's been rewritten and changed and you got all these different translations. You don't know what it really says, right? We don't know if what we have now is really an accurate account of what it said originally. Oh, really? And some Christians just say, well, I guess you're right, right? No, you're not. You're not right at all when you make that claim. You're not even close to being right when you make that claim. Listen to the evidence. Listen to what Luke, how, how Luke wrote his gospel in Luke 3, beginning with verse 1. He wrote this passage. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to, the, to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If I was trying to deceive you, I would never have included all those details. You know why? Because you can fact check those details. That's why. The more details you give, the more you can fact check what they're talking about. 
And guess what? We have historical records outside the Bible that verify every single thing he just said in that verse, in that passage. All these rulers, all these towns, at the time the Bible says they were there in ruling, are all documented outside of Scripture. All of them. Now, why would you have given all those details if you're trying to hide something? If you're trying to deceive people with your writings? You wouldn't do that. It wouldn't make sense to do that. Not if you're smart at all. And I believe these guys were. So they gave the details knowing that they could be checked out. There have been some great, great discoveries to show the reliability of Scripture. A lot of you have heard about probably the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Uh, they were discovered back in 1947. Now, since they were discovered, they, you know, they've been trying to preserve them and, and, and translate them and make sure you know, they were cared for and, and all that. And over time, as they've translated them, here's what we found out. They were, they were written in their uh, Greek, which was the original language of the New Testament, was written in Greek, Okay. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, later we found in 1979 some other scrolls in another case, called the Silver Scrolls often, or amulets, that they were rolled up silver pieces that had scripture on them that they tried to now roll out and be able to translate those. They were written in Greek as well. And they included the Ryland fragment, it's called, in the New Testament, which has been dated to A.D. 125. Now guess what? That puts it within 25 years of the lifetime of every single apostle. And you know what? The, the, the manuscripts they have found that are that old and the manuscripts they found since then in Greek and other languages that it's been translated into are in agreement with each other. It wasn't changed. You see, that's how you verify authenticity and accuracy is you compare the different manuscripts over time to see if changes have been made. And, and there's less than 0.5% change on anything in all of the Bible, of all the manuscripts they found. And those things that were different were deciding whether or not that was originally in the original first writing or not, or was it added later, and it's only 0.5% of all of the scriptures. And even that which was in question, that 0.5%, does not disagree at all with any of the rest of it, whether it was there or not. Does it change the meaning of anything? There's not another writing in human history that has that kind of manuscript documentation, not even close, not even close to what we have of the Bible. The manuscript evidence is huge. We have over 5,800 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. 5,800 to compare with each other. And there's no variation. Now, friends, that's unheard of. That's miraculous that human beings could have done that because given enough time and opportunity, what can we normally do? There you go. We can mess it up. We can mess it up. But if God's controlling it, does he mess up? No. Which is great evidence to the authenticity of Scripture. We have 2.6 million pages of Scripture, manuscripts, that we've been able to compare out of those 5,800 manuscripts. There are over 25,000 
1,000 total manuscripts of the New Testament in Greek and Latin and other languages without error, without contradiction. That's amazing that it's been copied that many times without it changing over time. But it hasn't changed. There's no other writing from that time period documented anywhere close to that. The, the, one, the, the writing from that time, we have the closest number of manuscripts from that time are only within 500 years of the original and we only have 20-something manuscripts of it. That's the closest one from that time period. Isn't that amazing? You see, we've got, when people act like, oh, you can't trust the Bible. Yes, you can. You can't trust that it's really accurate today. Yes, you can. The evidence is there. If we had any other writing they were trying to verify and say, is it, is it accurate or not? Can you trust that it was what the author really meant or not? We don't have any other writing in history close to that. And yet we accept writings from history all the time as if they must be true, right? They must be right. Hey, any of you have to read the Iliad or the Odyssey in school? Yeah, Homer. Ugh, I hated reading that. Man, it was an assignment. I did it. Actually, after I read it, I thought, this is pretty cool. I liked it all right. But I didn't like the idea of having to read it. You know what? We don't have nearly anywhere close to manuscript evidence that that is what Homer actually wrote. And was it changed over time? And yet everybody accepts it as the author was Homer and he did it exactly the way we have it today. Everybody just accepts that. Why? Because we're not asking you to place your trust in it for your life. That's what makes the scripture different. And that's why I believe God went to such extreme steps to make sure we had the evidence we need. We have discovered... Uh, uh, great evidence to support it. The fourth area of evidence is archaeology, the evidence of archaeology. I just wanted to take a moment on that. Uh, Jeremiah 36, it says, From the room of Jeremiah, son of Zaphon, secretary, which was in the upper courtyard at the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. Now, why do I bring that one up? Because archaeological evidence has been uncovered that, that has Jeremiah's name on it as the son of Zaphon, uh, who was who labeled the secretary. We found the upper courtyard at the entrance of the new gate of the temple. We found the new gate of the temple. See, archaeology has uncovered the exact names and titles that are mentioned there, written in stone from that exact time period. Archaeology is one of the best friends of Scripture if you have honest archaeologists who are being honest with what they found. There's so much evidence. There's a tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, talked about in 2 Kings 20 and verse 20. Guess what? Uh, about 20 years ago, guess what they found? Hezekiah's tunnel just like the scripture said it was, exactly where they said it was. What about the name Caiaphas? In 1990, there was a burial cave in Jerusalem. Remember, Caiaphas was said to be the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas at the time of Jesus. Uh, they didn't have any record of Caiaphas serving as high priest on any uh, documents or anything, so they were saying maybe the Bible made a mistake there, but they found a burial cave in Jerusalem with a tomb that was marked with the family name of Caiaphas as high priest. That was just back in 1990. The evidence keeps piling up and piling up. Many of the cities of Genesis, remember Genesis, the very first book of the Bible? 
They say, oh, it's all fable. It's all just made up stuff. Many of the actual cities of Genesis have been found by archaeological digs. Just like the Bible said they were. Where the Bible said they were. From Genesis. The name of Abraham was found on clay tablets, you know, as a historical figure. The titles of officials from the different time periods. The name Pontius Pilate, the town of Capernaum, where they believe they found the house that belonged to Peter's family. And the foundation of the synagogue just down the street from that house where Jesus began his public ministry have all been discovered with archaeological digs. The evidence from archaeology is amazing in support of the truth and reliability of Scripture. If you want a site to go to, I'll tell you there's a lot of them. I'll tell you one if you want to write it down. We'll put it on the screen. BibleArchaeology.org is a great site. If you love archaeology and want to go deeper in it, that is a great site to go to. And they give you the latest findings that they found as well as some of the record of earlier findings there. A great place to go to check that out. I want to close with this fifth thing, area of evidence, and that is the effectiveness of the teaching of Scripture. James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You could sit back and question Scripture the rest of your life and never know if it really works the way God says it's going to work. Or you can say, You know what? I'm not sure about this, but I'm going to try it. And I'm going to read what the Bible says about money what the Bible says about marriage, what the Bible says about friendship, what the Bible says about gender roles. I'm going to read all that, and I'm going to try to do it the way it says and see if it works the way God says it works. And here's what human beings have found out for centuries. When you do it God's way, it works the way God said it would. It does. When you do it God's way, it works the way God says it's going to work. But the only way you're going to know that for sure is to actually do what? Try it. That's the only way you're going to really know for sure is to try it. I'm convinced that God's way works because of this. God is a loving father who only wants what's best for his children. And when you really love your children, you will tell them the truth about stuff. You won't be mean-spirited about it. You won't be hateful about it. Remember, the Bible says, speak the truth in what? Love. You'll be loving about it. But real love wants the truth and tells the truth. That's what real love is. Real love is not saying to somebody, oh, it doesn't matter if you do marriage God's way or not. Just everybody, that's old ancient stuff. You just do it the way you want to. That's not real love. You just lied to them because in God's eyes it does matter. Right, And you don't have to love that person because they don't agree with you, so you, you're, you're excused from loving them. No, that's not what God's Word says, right? You need to know the truth about that. He said love everybody. He doesn't say you have to agree with them or support them, but you've got to love them. You see, people need to know the truth. Any of you parents right now raising your kids, you got a hot burner on on the stove, do you think you're going to tell your child the truth when they go to touch that burner? Yeah, why? Are you doing it to be mean? Why are you doing it? Well, you love your child. You don't want your child to get hurt, right? That's exactly why God tells us what he tells us in his word. He's a loving father who wants his children to know the truth about what will bless them and what will hurt them. 
He wants them to know the truth about what, what it means to live a life that really is going to matter and what it means to waste your life. He wants you to know the truth about that. He wants you to know the truth about eternity, that this is not all there is, that he's going to prepare a place for us. And if he goes to prepare a place for us, what, he's going, what is he going to do? He's going to come back and get us to be where he is too. You see, he wants to tell us the truth. Because more than anything else, he wants a relationship with us. And a relationship is only strong if it's built on truth. A relationship is only strong and lasting if it's built on truth. And God is saying, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth about this stuff. Because I love you. And I want to have this strong relationship with you. And I'm not just going to tell you the truth. I'm going to send the truth in the flesh for you so that you can know for sure this is how it works. You can know for sure what I'm like. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. God wants us to know the truth about who he is, what he's like. And so God sent Jesus here to reveal himself to us. So instead of making up things about God, if you want to know what God is like, what can you do? You can look at Jesus. Look at his life. Listen to his teachings. That's what God's like. That's who God is. That's God in the flesh coming to reveal himself to us. So you've got a decision to make. So do I. Do we believe it's true? Do we believe that the scripture is true. Now, here, here's the thing before you answer. If you really believe that it's true, it's not just about intellect. It's about trust. Okay? If I say to you, the roof is about to cave in, get out right now, you could believe intellectually, well, yeah, Randy's probably telling the truth, but what are you supposed to do in light of that? Respond to that truth. Trust that truth enough to take the action that you need to take. You see, in Scripture, when it says believe, it means trusting enough to place your life under that teaching. Which means you start obeying. You start, you start letting him be the ruler, the authority, because you believe him to be the source of truth. There's one more evidence I didn't cover. It's the resurrection. Uh, every Easter, we spend a lot of time on it. We'll do that again, I'm sure, God willing. We'll, we'll do that at Easter. But friends, the resurrection proves that Jesus is a teacher like no other. There are a lot of other good writings out there. There have been a lot of good teachers over the years. Not one of them has done what Jesus did. All of them died or will die. All of them. You can visit their graves. They're still there. Except Jesus. Muhammad had some good things to say. I don't agree with a lot of it, but he had some good things to say. Buddha, some of the writings are really great. Joseph Smith had some good things to say too, even though I really don't believe a lot of what he said. Every leader of every religion and every movement out there has had some good things to say, but none of them have been able to back up their teachings with authority the way Jesus did when he conquered death. That puts him on a whole nother level, on a whole nother plane as a teacher. So you've got to decide. 
do you really believe Jesus? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Here's what it says if you believe it in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we, we've been reminded today that we're stronger in life if we have the truth about things. That we can know the truth about life and how it works and what the purpose is. Father, we believe, many of us, that your word is true. And because we believe that, we're willing to come under its teaching as the guide and direction for our lives. Father, I just pray that if anybody has heard these words today, even if there's still doubt, even if they're still questioning, that they would at least pursue the truth in the right way, honestly, openly, look at the evidence, because you don't ask them to blindly believe you. You've given us so much evidence and testimony. Father, help us to believe because of the evidence. And part of that evidence is the difference your teaching has made in our lives, those of us who have surrendered to your lordship and followed your teaching. We thank you for the blessing of your word and your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.